Welcome to another edition of Top Lines and Tales. This week we are sponsored by Harbro, suppliers and manufacturers of quality livestock nutrition. Continuing with our series looking at modern livestock operations, we go to one of the best known prefix names in the UK beef and sheep business, Allenfold in central Scotland, to chat with father and son duo Archie and John McGregor. Great to speak to you guys. Good to speak to you, Andy. Yeah, hi, Andy. Archie, your father, Duncan, farmed Allenfold before you uh, running Blackface Hughes. How much of the original farm would be Hillland, uh, Archie? Uh, at that time, it would be about 90% Hillland. Uh, it wasn't until the uh, late 1960s, early 70s, that we took advantage of the grants and, and uh, drained quite a lot of it and reclaimed parts of it. So... I mean, even yet, I would say it's about 75% hill ground. Uh, back then, you'd be mainly crossing the Blackies to uh, a border Leicester for breeding mules, would you be? How many ewes would you run back then? Actually, uh, I, uh, the 1950s, my father ran what we called at that time a flying flock. He just bought in draft ewes and uh, bought in ewe hawks and didn't really breed any of his own. The main reason for that was there was a, a abortion going along the Campsie Hills at that time, and uh, they thought it was best to, to keep bringing in new stock. So I, at that time, uh, the ewes were all crossed with the with the Leicester. It was the border Leicester actually then, and the Gimmers were are Gimmer shearlings as you call them down south. They they were actually put to the Swaledale top, and he liked the the first cross, Blacky Swale for going to the uh, border Leicester. And uh, it wasn't until the 60s, really, that we, we moved on to Blueface Leicesters. And would you carry on then breeding a few of, the own, of your own Blackie replacements as well, or was it still turning them over then? As I said then, we were, we were breeding a few uh, swale crosses, but uh, my two brothers, uh, Donald and Jimmy, they were 12 and 10 years older than me. So they were on the go uh, on the farm in the, on the 60s. And uh, they had ideas to, uh, uh, you know, a breeding flock. And you'd also have a herd of suckler cows back then as well, uh, Archie, on the hill? Well, again, my father just, uh, he bought store cattle in Oban uh, and he reared them. And he also took on uh, grazers in the summer from local dairy farms. So there was no breeding uh, cows until the 60s. Once we um, started the breeding cows, we expanded very quickly and by the early 70s, we were up to 200 breeding cows. And then, of course, you brought in the Charolais maybe a little bit later than that. Whose idea was it to bring in the first Charolais uh, onto the suckler herd, uh, Archie? Again, it was uh, I, Donald and Jimmy and my father had, had heard about the good Charolais calves going to Reston Market, uh, the Robinsons of Snipe House, mm-hmm. a very good reputation with their, with their Charolais calves in the late 60s. So they went down just to see them really, um, uh, that would be 1969, and um, they were really impressed with what they saw. And there were a few bulls being sold that day, there was I think just about half a dozen bulls, and uh, they actually came home with a bull which cost them the princely sum of 580 guineas. <laughs> a good investment I guess, and what was the bull actually, do you remember? It was called Mindrum Elite. And um, that bull did tremendously well for us. Um, well, we'd been working with Heracord and Angus bulls at the time, and um, the first calves we had off them, the college did a, a, a you know, did weighings on them. And um, the autumn-born calves, when they went to grass, averaged 100 weight or 50 kilos heavier 
and an average of the, the rest of the calves. And weaning came, they were 105 kilos heavier. So, so we were quite uh, committed by that time. And, and basically turned the whole well, over to the shower label. We had some link cows and we had a link bull for them, but it, it was mainly Irish blacks and blue greys. We were buying the best we could get our hands on. So that side of the herd was very good quality for the time anyway. And you must have had some good cows because as soon as the Charlie bull went on there, you wouldn't be long before you, you started breeding a, f- a few show calves straight away, yeah, Archie? Yeah, well, we, we mucked about at the local markets and we started uh, getting a reputation, getting a very good trade. And, I mean, compared with the most other people were still in the Angus's and Herefords and and uh, we were a step ahead. And uh, Jim McKechnie would come and buy a few show cows from you in the beginning. Uh, Jim was an able man for sure, meticulous, knew what he was looking for, didn't he? <laughs> well, he, he certainly did. He, I, I learned an awful lot from Jim McKechnie. He, I, he, the first time he came out was was uh, 1975, and uh, he took out an ocean for a silver steer calf. Which had, and anyway, we sold it to him privately. And that one was a uh, silver lining, it was called. And uh, he took him to Smithfield that first year, and I think he was third in his class. But the following year, he just won everything. Well, I, I got to say he won everything, but it was it was between him and a bullock, Billy Glazebury card. It was called Flashy Boy, another Charlie Bullock. The pair won all the shows between them, really. And uh, the following year, he came back, and, and I sold him a wee calf, just uh, I would only be 200 kilos, and he got it back and put it on a nurse cow, and um, that was Fizz. Uh-huh. He came out during the summer and uh, he asked me if I would go to Smithfield with him. And I said, well, I tell you what, I'll go to Smithfield with you if you allow me to show one of my own. I took a calf of my own down, and that was a, and quite a year for us. Uh-huh. Well, Fizz went on and won uh, Supreme, didn't she? And uh, you got in the championships as well, actually, I think. Aye, Mr. Chips, the one I took down eh, was Reserve Baby and then Reserve Steer. We were getting tipped to go all the way, the two of us, but eh, we got beaten by a heifer. Eh, much was reserved with a heifer. Yeah, and uh, Jimmy went on to be a hard man to beat uh, down there. There was a hierarchy of three or four of them, weren't there, with the, with the Charolais cars. But you carried on uh, showing a few for yourself and then selling the rest in, in the Cali, didn't you, um, Actually, they, the people would start coming looking for them. And, and I would be, I would be haltering maybe 25, 30 calves eh, to, between Autumnbourne and Springbourne to, eh, to sell at the Cali. At that time, we I kept really the heifer calves for ourselves. We, to, we finished the heifer calves and they, and they sold the steer calves with one or two exceptions that we kept over the years. But that that was how we were. Mainly, we were actually selling our show calves at the United Auctions. Brother Donald um, became a director of the Cali, so we thought we'd better them. And um, actually, we took the buyers with us. I wondered if they would come to the Cali, but they came. They came in their droves at the finisher. Exactly, and some of the the calves would end up in in London. I remember going down there in I think '76 or '7, my first year, and uh, they were. <laughs> Seemed to be every other beast was spread by uh, Duncan McGregor Limited. I wonder who the hell Duncan McGregor was. So you you were you were getting people were buying the cows to go to London, weren't they? They were indeed. Yeah, I I mean I remember one year 
particular, I think I think go up to there was seventy-five percent of the first calves there was was sired by vagabond. Smithfield would be the goal for everyone, wouldn't it? I mean, we've delved into its murky past previously on this podcast, but it was a great place and a great occasion and uh, something special, wasn't it, London? Oh, it's something that could never be repeated. Really, we looked forward all year to go to Smithfield and um, the fun we had down there and and the friendly rivalry. It was uh, tremendous. Yeah. And John, were you at London? I was there three times, I think. Yeah, um, yeah. To be honest, it's the uh, London was. I was quite young at the time, um, mm. but it was it was fantastic. Um, it wasn't. It wouldn't be in its full heyday like it was like previously. I would probably miss the the very best of it. But the first year we were down at London, it was just something special, really. It's uh, to be honest, if it was still, if London was. Still the same way as it was then, we would still be showing commercial cattle, I think. Um, but just not the same as it was. No, you're right. I think the price of calves, well, I'd say the price of calves maybe fell when London stopped, but that's probably not true because they're still a hell of a price these days, the crossbred calves. And, and Archie, eventually you won it outright in 1998, moving on a bit, and the cattle had altered a bit by then, hadn't they? But the quality had improved right across the board, hadn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think really once this. The limousines came into their own. The quality improved very quickly. You know, it was. Um, but you could still, having said that, if you had a good Charlie Heifer, you could still you could still win it. Mm-hmm. You were asking about the murky past at uh, Smithfield, but um, we had a lot of fun when, when I went there and, uh, as a boy. Really, uh, Jim McKechnie's team. Um, uh, Jim had. Weird and wonderful ideas. Um, uh, well, at that time, Shaw's coat dressing was the was the only one that we hadn't all the, the limo shines and, and the glues that they have nowadays. So Jim would love to make up his own potions, and um, it, it, well, they seemed to work. I mean, Jim was a master of dressing cattle and a master of producing cattle with hair. Uh, and I mean, some of them didn't smell very good, but. <laughs> You'll have heard of the old days, Andy, when when the Angus cattle, especially when the a little arsenic was fed to to, mm-hmm. to make it grow. Well, Jim got this into his head that he would like to do something like this, and and he, he, he had heard that the, some sheep dip contained arsenic, so he got me to delve into that and see if we had any. And, and I did come across some that had a wee bit, so I gave it to him, and and. Uh, uh, so he, he was spraying them every day with, with us. And I don't think he killed any, but it seemed to, and he seemed to produce plenty here. So um, another thing with Jim, uh, well, both Jim McKechnie and Jim Donald, if, the, if there was a beast of their food, the first thing they would look for was his moody hillocks or molehills to that end. Uh, and and uh, us boys were sent out to look for, for uh, earth just to put into the cattle feeder. And they were there. The best place to get it was was a graveyard. So um, <laughs> we would go around the graveyard looking for a uh, from a newly dug grave. But, um, but uh, anyway, it seemed to work. I don't know. I've never fed it to my cattle. <laughs> I certainly heard uh, Ian Anderson mention a, a similar story about uh, going out looking for. Yeah, for for Earth and London wasn't the easiest place to find any amongst all that town back. That's for sure. And then. Moving on, uh, Alan Fold decided to go down the pedigree Charlie route and uh, and 
uh, what were the initial foundation cows that started the Allen Fold uh, herd? Well, I had a, I had a notion to get to, to get one or two pure Charleys, and um, I actually was at Perth, and the first cow I bought was a Merns cow uh, with a carbon foot. She was about two and a half thousand. Um, and then we went on a young farmer's trip to Wheatrick uh, down in Ayrshire, um, uh, a well-known um, Ayrshire herd, and they had a wee side line, which was a, a few Charlotte cows. But anyway, he, he mentioned that he, he was going to be selling them. He would, they, they were too much bother. He wasn't going to keep them. So I came home and, and nagged at Donald and Jimmy and father, and uh, we went back down the next day and, and bought his small herd. And um, there, there was a calf running at foot with them, a bull calf, and uh, so that was the first, the first bull, Charlotte bull I took to Perth, which was 1978, and uh, he was champion. I think he was quite lucky to be champion, to be fair, but anyway, we got, uh, we got uh, two and a half thousand for him. That's not a bad start, and then uh, let's talk about Alan Fold uh, Vagabond, and he was by Brampton Petition, is that right, an impeccable son, and he was out of an imported French female. Uh, um, where was where was she bed, Vagabond's mother? I got her from Pete Best. I, that day I was looking for a present for my wife, Libby, and... Um, that's a right notion for this heifer. She was, well, Charlotte wouldn't like me to say this, but I was up to a white limousine, really. She was uh, very tight bellied and, and long, and, and uh, she was just a lovely heifer. She was she was reserve champion at the sale, and uh, I got her for 2000. She was in calf to impeccable, and her first calf was a bull calf, and um, I took him to Perth and got 3000 for him. Her second calf was vagabond. Well, I had heard of a petition. Albert Connolly and David Benson had talked me into trying petition. I tried him on her, and the vagabond appeared. As soon as I saw him, I knew I had to keep him, and I didn't know how to break this to Libby. Well, the way I ended up getting around it, when he was about a year old, a neighbour of ours who bred show calves, Ian Morton, um I got him to come and look at it, and uh, he loved it as well. So I sold him a half share, and uh, a few years later, I well, he did very well with calves off him as well. And uh, a few years later, uh, I gave him back more than he paid for the half share to get the semen right. So that was my punch, and we kept, we had him for he was about thirteen or fourteen when he died. He, he was obviously a great earner for us. Yeah, and Vagabond could breed cross calves, couldn't he? But and pedigrees as well, and it's it's a rare bull that does both. And uh, he became a bit of a legend, didn't he? And his calves certainly won their share of prizes. And as he said earlier, at the at the Cali and at Smithfield and everywhere else in between, really. And uh, that was a pretty good advert for selling semen, wasn't it? People were queuing up to buy it. Well, it was, it was. I, I, I was, we sold a big lot of semen, and um, I would say, to be fair, that he, he was. His reputation was more on the cross calf side than the pedigree side. At, at that time, most of the pedigree breeders were in for these big Tannehill impeccable type of bulls, which were slightly a good lot different from Vagabond. But the pedigree people who were using Vagabond were the ones that were that were wanting to breed a bull to breed quality calves. And Jeff Bellis won Smithfield in 1992, I think, with a Vagabond calf. Uh, that was a good beast. I dressed. A- 
steer champion that year and was beaten by two Charolais heifers and and he mm. kept kept producing these calves the vagabond actually has sired a thousand pedigree registered calves and they must have done Alifold yeah. prefix a lot of good and your bank balance a lot of good as well Hi, good back to Jeff Bell and Starlight. Well, you dressed as I actually dressed Starlight for, for Jeff. So. Uh-huh. Um, but uh, Starlight had a story too. She uh, she was out of pure limbers and cow, and uh, I weaned her, but she was just a wee tot. And I, I thought I would just try it, Carly, because I knew there was some shuffle going. And uh, I took her there. She was 200 kilos uh, at, at the Carly that day, and she made five pound a kilo. She made a thousand. And Jeff bought her. And uh, well, Jeff had bought a lot of cattle from us. He, he bought breeding cattle from us as well. And um, that uh, summer after he bought uh, Starlight, um, he was coming out of Bedlands Gate, and so he was having a dispersal. So my father and I went down to the dispersal, uh, and, and I, actually I went down with the intention of buying a Starlight back, but uh, Jeff was quite sure I wasn't going to get her back. So. Uh, <laughs> he, he actually, it was his grandson. He, he bought it in his grandson's name, anyway. So it was shown at Smithfield in, in, in his grandson's name. I, I, th- I thought she was a super animal, a, a tremendous shape of an animal. She was. She was a super, super beast. And, uh, and as I said, there was another Charlie Heifer, I think, was uh, Bert Verity, would maybe was reserved to her as well. And uh, I was dressing the steer and got beaten by those two. So you started the herd of Charolais. Would you show the Charolais back then? Would you get out in the show circuit with them, uh, Archie? Oh, not very much. We did show an odd one. Um, and uh, we, we tended to sell most of the bulls privately. We, uh, we had a few a few successes at Perth, too. Um, uh, we had a great trade for vagabonds, kind of five, six, seven thousand kind of thing at that time. But... Uh, it wasn't until uh, Simpsons Greg came in the go that we, we started winning more uh, age group championships anyway at, uh, at Perth. Uh, and you shared Simpsons Greg with Donald McPherson, is that right? We did indeed, uh, uh, Donald and Ewan. Uh, well, Ewan at that time still had commercial cows and, and he needed a Charlie Bull. And, and so did Donald, they had their own herbs then. And uh, Greg fitted the bill. And, uh, I never thought he would be one to read show cars, but they actually managed to produce a Smithfield winner out of him. Of course he did. Uh, he bred Donald Barn. One thing about Greg was I, I don't think we ever had a, a Charlie Bull car born off him that we didn't sell as a bull. They were very, very consistent. Uh-huh. And he, he, he bred tremendous milky females as well. So uh, he, he was a good pedigree breeder's bull at the time. And, of course, the Charlie breed would stay at uh, Alan Fold and still there just now. And, uh, John, obviously, you'd be involved in later on. Give us a bit more of a potted history of, uh, of how the Charolais have gone on at, uh, at Alan Fold. On the Charlie side, after Vagabond and Greg, um, some of the other bills that have worked well for us would be Gretenhouse Noel, uh, who produced Alan Fold Super Scott, who went on to breed well through different herds in the country. Um, Elgin Da Vinci, sorry, and Woodpark Elgin, who both... Um, produced a few five-figure bulls for us, and um, and are still there's still a lot of cows in the herd. And more recently, um, Bill Mile Jasper, a bull we bought in Carlisle. Um, we bred um, Allenfold Neptune from Jasper, um, his who we sold would be our top price bull to date at twenty thousand. And um, m- most of our cows in the herd at the moment are are by Jasper, and I'm really pleased with them. They're they're big square cows and with loads of milk. So. Um, he's he's done a really really good job for us. 
We've also enjoyed a, a few trips over to your side of the water where you are at the moment, Andy, um, over to France to look at Charlie's over there. And I've been very impressed with the herbs that we've went round in France. Um, one or two bulls that we've brought from there have done very, very well for us and produced really nice females. Um, we've had to, uh, a bull to Dorn um, and Tyrrell, both bred very well. The Tyrrell females especially had character like I've never seen a herd before. They had great heads and muzzles on them and they bred very, very well. And just a couple of years ago, we were back over again, myself, um, brother-in-law Matthew Milne and um, uh, Neil Barclay as well uh, and, his, and Magnus. Went over and we had a tour about. We were again looking for maybe to pull another some more French genetics back in. We quite like to mix and match a little bit with British and French genetics just to try and keep the blood right and try and try and pull in new blood as much as we can. Um, and we bought a bull called Oscar um, by a French bull that's breeding very, very well at the moment. I love you. He's a great big long bull with a big, big pelvis on him. And um, we're getting the first the first calves of, are hitting the ground now by Oscar. And they are... Uh, well, they look the part at the moment, but we'll just time will tell whether they, whether they're what the the British market is after. So, I'm sure some new genetics won't do the breeding harm. And um, going back to those uh, early days, actually, you said you farmed with your two brothers, and uh, uh, I guess you were all on the same farm back then. But uh, your breed, uh, Black, is now under three different prefixes. Uh, there would have been a, a moment when you parted ways, I guess. We we had uh, Donald was actually at uh, Burnhead Farm, which was part of the part of the outfit, but a different steading. Uh, and uh, and later on, we bought Dyke Farm, uh, which uh, which was a great asset. And uh, so it finished up that uh, uh, brother Jimmy went to the Dyke Farm. Donald actually died in 1978 when he was only 39, uh, and his son Duncan. It was just a boy at the time, but, but when he finished uh, university, he came back home and, and went into Burnhead. So we finished up with three farm steadings, and um, we had a farm that was quite suitable for dividing up with it uh, uh, equally. So we, we, we finished up with three kind of equal farms, Allenfall, Burnhead and the Dyke. Burnhead and the Dyke uh, each got a uh, part of the Allenfold acres as it were. They were uh, so so that we had three kind of fairly equal farms. As I said, you, all three of you went on to breed blackies under those prefixes and you still do, don't you? Still do, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you got a bit more serious into the blackie trade into the 80s, I suppose the money in the blackies was starting to get a bit serious by then, wasn't it? And uh, there were some decent profits to be to be made with the right top and uh, you took right into it, uh, Archie. Well, actually, when I left college, at that time we had the uh, uh, we had 4,000 black ewes and we had 200 cows and, and um, I, I just lived and dreamed black sheep and I wanted to, to come back home and be a shepherd more or less, uh, but there wasn't a place for me so I reluctantly got landed in the cattle side and, <laughs> and, uh, but of course once I get, once I get into it I really, I really loved that side as well so it was, it was quite, quite fortunate that that happened then. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, as far as the blackies go, um, in the 60s we, we started a breeding flock and we bought blackies from some of the top flocks at the time. We, 
Conachan, Gas, Trolos, Cairn Yarn, Wheatshaw, and these were uh, Kill as well. These And these were the basis of our Blackie Fog. And uh, we went to Conachan every year and bought ewe lambs. Our trailer loaded about 50 ewe lambs every year. And uh, one of these ewe lambs, uh, when bred to a, a midlock top that we bought for 3,200, produced a lamb that we sold for 10,000 in 1978. And now that was the first five-figure up of any breed sold at Lanark. Wow. So <laughs> we landed fairly lucky there. It took us a year or two before we before we really started uh, uh, getting in the higher prices again. But we bred a top in 1986 called Sergeant Pepper. Uh, we had sent two ewes up to Conachan to get topped and uh, one of them produced this top, Sergeant Pepper. And the father of him, he was called Highland Fling, and so because we had this good lamb of him, uh, we actually bought Highland Fling that back end, and it cost us 11,000. But he never actually, he bred all right, but he didn't breed as well as Sergeant Pepper, but Sergeant Pepper was was a bit of a legend, really. He, was a, he bred very well for us, and I think it was... In '89, we had uh, a lamb at 14,000 off of one at uh, 7,000. Uh, but for years, he bred very good stuff for us. The, the black is aren't a breed that I know a lot about, and excuse me for asking uh, dumb questions. But uh, would you run a, a nucleus of the very best sheep that uh, that you're breeding from for the pedigree flocks, or would you just run the tops across the uh, the entire flock and uh, and get what you get? Well, we tried to bring good tops across the whole flock. I mean, I mean, now now we're putting about 800 ewes to the blackie top. I mean, we're running 1,600 ewes of different breeds at the moment. But 800 of the blackies eh, go to the pure top, and, and probably about 600 go to the, the blue-faced Leicester. I see. Well, you'll know which the good breeding lines are, obviously, but uh, theoretically you could be bringing uh, top sale tops out of uh, any one of those 800, I suppose. Oh yeah, I, I mean it's not a pedigree in the black phase, but we, we've kept records for the last 30 years, uh, and so we can go right into the background of, of every you in on the farm. Um, so I, we, we know the background, and we and we, we try and match them to the most suitable tops. And and I mean we've got a lot of deer tops over the years, but a lot, a lot of our most successful tops haven't been very dear. Well, that was Sergeant Pepper, a homebred one. Uh, we had a 1600 when they brought, bought from brother Jimmy after he, after we split up. He called we called him Dyke White Nose, and he, he bred a lot of money for us and, and very good females. Mm-hmm. Um, so and 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 then this uh, recent one that's done well, he 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 cost three and a half. Well, he was actually he actually only cost us 1750 because we. Uh, and you started showing the blackies too in in the eighties, I suppose. You won your share, didn't you? You were winning in at the Highlands fairly well, early on in the eighties. We always showed at local shows, um, and uh, had a bit of fun and rivalry with the with the neighbours. Um, nothing very serious. We we split up in ninety one, and uh, after that, I, I started showing blackies at the Highland as as well, and uh, we've. We've won the Highland three times. And you're still at the top of the breed 30 and 40 years on. Fast forward to this year, 80,000 for a top that goes back to one of your show use, Archie, and another one 
One hell of a trade, and they're all by a, a, a three and a half thousand uh, tall hurler. So how come he came so cheap? The twenty thousand one was that. Uh, we actually got bought some semen off a hundred and sixty thousand dollar hurler. Up and uh, we flushed a U to him, and uh, and we, we got a twenty thousand and an eighteen thousand one out of her too. So, but the rest of them were were mainly off the, the three and a half thousand. We've been quite successful with the Harley Tups over the years. The last one that probably uh, did a great job for us was was one that cost sixty thousand. But but there was five of us bottom in partnership, and uh, uh, so he wasn't too daft, and uh, he actually bred. He bred five big up tops for every one of the five. So he wasn't so dear. But this one here, the, the Delhara top, you, you've uh, three and a half thousand pound when you got him in a in a partnership as well. So yeah, yeah, I, I was just it was a piece of luck really because well we were dead keen and there were two good Delhara tops we thought in the pen that day uh, and uh, we were swithering about them. But that, that, this the one that was going in second was the one that we actually liked best and. Uh, um, so we thought we'd have to pay a bit of money for him. So we were speaking to Michael Wood uh, before they went in the ring, and, and uh, he said he would like to share him. I think we would have gone to a lot of money, well, quite a lot of money for him. Uh, the other one actually made sixty thousand. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's not all luck, is it? Actually, at the end of the day, it comes down to the good eye. But you just—it uh, sounds like you got lucky on that one. That uh, you caught him just right. It was one of those ones. It was—it was probably a bit of a rough diamond. He had—he wasn't perfect by any manner of means, but he—he he had some very breedy bits about him, and uh, he had some. He just had a—just had that wee bit looking out of him that looked like he could be a breeder. But um, we've bought some like that before, and they haven't been a breeder. So <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit, there's a bit of luck involved in everything. As you said, it's just uh, it's just getting the right luck on the right day. And just moving back a, a little bit, next came the pedigree limousines at uh, Alan Fold. And uh, when did the limousines come in, and and where did those first females come from? Most of the early limousines came from Bert Leach, who had some pure limousines in Mull, and uh, he kept them very commercially. I knew him quite well, so I thought it would take some to try them, but. Um, and uh, actually, brother Jimmy bought some from him as well, and a lot of them were the basis of the of the good Dyke limousines too. And uh, but I've bought odd ones over the years, but I would say that the, these ones were probably the the basis of the herd. And you used a bit of Cannon to start with, I see. And uh, what other bulls have influenced the herd that's uh, taken it to where it is now? We, we had a bull Bailey image that we bought seventeen thousand uh, that we shared with David Bailey at Cala. Um, he he held the kind of record for a limit sterling for a while. Clapton Noble was one we bought for four thousand at Carlisle, and uh, he he bred very good females, and he went on to win the Highland. Actually, we we showed him in the Highland and went and won the Highland with him. Well, we've uh, we've done quite well with bulls we bought out of Ireland as well. Maybe ten fifteen years ago, we kind of saw a bit of a an opportunity in the Southern Irish market. To, uh, bring some an odd bull over, um, and they've they've done they did uh, very very well for us. So. The bulls would be a bit thicker back then, John, in in Southern Ireland than they would be over here, would they be? They were, yeah, and you could at that time you could pick up bulls at handy money. The first time we went over there, we bought we brought an Eni for son back and a Mazda son. They were just basically we bought them back to turn them over, but the Mazda son actually did did very well and. 
our kind of best breeding cow at the moment goes back to him. Um, I will call that before Vincent. But uh, aye, so we did, he built a couple of cows and he went away. We sold them at uh, Perth at the time uh, for six thousand, I think he was. But we made a wee bit of money on what we paid for him, so it worked sure, and then more recently, you sold the limousine herd, and we'll come on to that in a minute. But uh, John, just to fill us in in that sort of last decade up to you selling them, because uh, yeah, you had some some great success there. What uh, uh, what helped you on that road? We had a good bit of success with um, the Bills Clapton Noble, Hawkcliffe President, Ardbrack Take Time, and um, an Irish Bill that we bought along with my uncle Jimmy and uh, cousin Donald uh, Capaduff Aaron. Um, they all bred very well for us, and the females were were good off them all, and good milky cows off them all. It's something I kind of tried to watch anyway is is the uh, femininity in milk in, in our females in every breed that we have. Um, I'm a wee bit worried at the moment, to be honest, with the limousine breed that they maybe don't. There's uh, too many of them maybe pushing too hard for hard muscle, and we're maybe starting to lack a bit of milk in the breed. Um, but. Uh, we also got on quite well with some AI sires. The, we did, um, AI'd a few cows to Willowage Tonka and we managed to produce two five-figure bulls. One of them was champion at Stirling. The other one, um, a bull, Armfold Ibrox, we got 10,500 for him down at Carlisle. Um, and his mother, Allenfold Cartina, also bred hey, what I believe is the, the best uh, limousine we, we've bred here today, a, a heifer, Allenfold Jolene. And she went on to win the the Stars of the Future in Stirling. Um, and I actually sold Jolene to um, Hunter's Hall uh, in the spring of the year that we we sold the herd. Um, Stephen Nixon came in and he, he saw her and he gave me an offer that I, we, well, we couldn't really... I was kind of hoping to take her to the sale, but we got an offer that we couldn't really refuse. So um, Jolene's went on to do a great job for... Hunters Hall, she's um, she bred the top priced heifer, Hunters Hall Retha, at uh, Carlisle in May, uh, who sold for 12,000. And um, and she's bred some very good bull calves uh, for him from for him as well. Um, Hunters Hall Overkill seems to be uh, doing a good job, and he looks a very good bull from the pictures I've seen of him. Uh, but Stephen seems very, very happy with Jolene, so it's good to see uh, she's going on and breeding as good as she looked herself. And you went on to sell a bull nemesis for twenty seven thousand to Albert Howie, uh, uh, and, and I think you won Sterling three times on a bounce. Would that be right? Two thousand and thirteen, fourteen, round about then. Yeah, no, we had a good wee run at that time. Um, I think that things were just clicking kind of quite well for us at the lim- in the limousines at that time. Um, the first one was a bull. We was by underwriter. Um, I was speaking to Martin Conway down at Carlisle one day and. At the time we were, look, we were looking for a bill, but we had other bills running about, but I was looking for something a wee bit different, and he told me that Underwriter was, I think he was nine or ten year old at the time, but he was still going about, and, and he said he would sell them, so myself and, uh, well, Stuart Barclay actually, uh, when Stuart was just starting his lungs, um, we shared them, so, um, yeah, we, we, we bred a bill that went on to be champion and sold for uh, 10,000 at Stirling. Um, and then yeah, we had another two two championships after that. So uh-huh. we had a good wee run just be, before we before we sold the sold the basis of the herd. <laughs> and uh, what prompted you to sell the entire herd, John? Um, yeah, about five years ago, we 
we got the opportunity to uh, to put a hydro system in in the farm, um, which is a big investment at the time. So we had to look at loads of different avenues to try and raise a bit of money. We, we had there was an option there that we could that a company would come in and do it, and we would get a rental for it. But uh, we decided we would uh, basically go for it and. And uh, try and do it ourselves, which, to be honest, for a few years it was it's been it was quite tough. We had to try and raise a bit of money every way we could. We sold the the limousine herd, we sold our cross cows, and two or three different bits and pieces we sold just to try and raise a bit of, a bit of capital at the time. We sold the yeah we sold the limousines and the cross cows basically on the herd basis, so it tried to save a little bit of tax, um, and so it's meant it's been a bit longer before we mm -hmm. could. The plan was always to build the limousines back up again. We thought at the time they were the they were the herd that would be the most valuable. The lummy females are, are always making more than what the Charlie females are. Mm -hmm. um, and so we decided we would just go for it. We'd sell the lums and um, and then try and build them back up again. So. Mm -hmm. what, what numbers are you back up to now, John? Look, I'm just only, we're only sitting about 10 cows at the moment. We're, um, just gradually, I'm, I've been looking at odd dispersals and bits and pieces and just try to pick up all... Uh, good bloodlines um, that were uh, that'll work that'll hopefully work for us. That we can build a basis of, of lines through the hair. So. Sure, they're not easy. Not easy, as you said. The limbs and females will make a bit of money. They're not easy to buy just now. Based <laughs> on this year's, this year's. <laughs> no, we were, very, we were very lucky to be honest with Nemesis' mum because we took all the cows to the sale. There was there was two cows with um, I put a decent reserve on them, and if they didn't make the reserve, we were just going to keep them and. One was Elizabeth, who was a great breeding cow for us, and um, Elegance, and we didn't sell either of the two of them. Catherine, my sister, came to me afterwards and asked if we would sell El um, Elizabeth. Um, so we sold her to Catherine, and we took Elegance home, um, and she had a bill cab at foot, which we sold for, what was he, uh, 4,000 or something at Stirling. And then I eyed her when I got her home, to loose bear fantastic and then she, she then produced a bill at 27,000 so yeah. it could as easily have been sold at the sale which is it's just there's wee pots of luck all the time you make your own luck I'm sure it's not all good luck but uh, <laughs> you make your own luck and, and you guys own um, Millbrook Playboy now and I've seen a picture of him he's got some end on him and he's out of uh, William Smith's Ginger Spice and She's making a bit of a name for herself now nowadays, uh, guys. Yeah, um, I, I speak to William back and forward on the phone, and um, I'd been I'd actually phoned him up. There was we were, I was we've been eating the cows, and I just felt like there, there was one or two slipping, and they were starting to get a bit stale, and I just thought, oh, I need to get a bull to cover these. And I saw a, a video of a little bull in Ireland, and asked I phoned up William to ask him about it. And um, and William says, to be honest, he says, I've got a nice bull here. If you um, told me about him, and as soon as he told me he was out of ginger spice, um, I was having him. <laughs> so uh, he basically gave me the option. He showed, sent me videos and stuff, and he looked. He was quite raw, but he looked the part. He was just a young calf at the time. He was just just a year old. Um, he looked like he had a great head, good in his legs, tremendous structure. And I just thought there's something that there's something really nice in this calf. And he'd said to me, "Well, if you don't like him when you get him, we can you can feed him on, and we'll uh, turn him over in Carlisle in October." 
and if you do like them, um, you can buy them. So um, when I got them home, they were really, really pleased with them, and we decided to buy them. So. What's he buy? Um, he is by Winfield Park Loma. So he's got um, show winning cows, and he's Loma's mum would win the Highland, and um, Ginger Spice obviously done as well as she did over in Ireland. So he's got um, tremendous female lines on both sides. So. Um, he's a bit of a luxury for us, to be honest, to have a bill that quality here with 10 cows. 10 cows. <laughs> I'm but, sure you'll have people queuing up to buy some semen from him very soon. That's why I decided to, to put him in the to centre to get some semen. And I've actually, with the female lines that's behind him, we've taken a bit of sex semen off him as well. So. And uh, actually, you judged the, the limousines at Kyle Al sale uh, last week. The trade is there just now. They looked a good run of bulls, were they? Oh, lovely show! Lovely show to judge. Very good quality. Um, uh, that was. The la- I've, I've judged the uh, Perth and Stirling several times, but uh, the last time I judged the Olympics at Carlisle was 35 years ago. <laughs> and I was just saying to Robert Graham that uh, uh, 35 years ago, but him junior champion as well. <laughs> right. Licked a good bull of his anyway. Ah, it was a great show. A great show. Very good. Uh, the 50,000 intermediate champion. He was. A- an exceptionally good build too. Yeah. And and going back to the sheep uh, guys, you've had a long time shepherd uh, David Kinlock. And how long has he been with you guys at Allenfold? He came in 1987. He's been here for 34 years now. Um, no, David's very reliable. A big help at the seals as well. And yeah, a good all round shepherd to be honest. He's very good with his dogs. He's um, really really keen on the dogs and his dog trials. And yeah, if there's if you're ever needing a job done, if there's, we've, we've got quite a bit of ground away from home and stuff like that. David's brilliant at, for all for all those jobs. He treats the farm like his own, so which is uh, which means which means an awful lot. When we're, we've as many pretty breeds here, we're very time consuming, <laughs> as you can imagine. So he treats his farm like his own because he's probably been there longer than you, uh, John. When was it? Uh, you, when was it? You came on the farm. How long have you been there? When did you come from college? Uh, yeah, well, he has. Yeah, well, he's been here. I think I was two years old when David came. <laughs> I came home from college in 2003, uh, so I've been kind of I've been here on the farm ever since. So obviously, was was here back and forward um, through when I was at school. I was never really at school. I was always the school lo- classroom windows looked straight onto the farm. So just <laughs> staring at seeing what Dad was up to in the hill. So, um, so yeah. And let's move on to another breed that you guys have had uh, uh, excellent success with uh, the Texels. When did you start with the with the Texel breed, uh, John? I believe that was a little bit of your doing. Yeah, well, we had Texels back when would it be? Oh, right to the start. Well, they, basically, when they came in for the country, my uncle, like Duncan's dad, my uncle Donald, he was he was quite keen in the breed back then, and um, they had them they had them back then. But after he died, um, they dispersed them. I think they sold a they sold a, a gimmer at the time to Grog Foot for a thousand pounds, which would be a fair bit of money uh-huh. back then. But um, we used to go down to Kelso to, to buy an odd tup uh, for the cross shows, and um, I was always really impressed with the, the pens of tups that you saw at Kelso, the power and the, the quality throughout. And they were kind of different to what we were working with with the blackies here. And I, I can't, I'm really, really keen on the blackies, but I was looking for something at the time that, that uh, I could maybe do myself that uh, I could put my own stamp on. You were all, as a young boy, you weren't you weren't really getting any say in what happened with the blackies as such. It was good to, to have a breed of your own that you could, could start on. So when 
Uh, it would be 2001, I think, uh, and his dad had agreed that we would go and start a vlog. He said, well, if, if you're going to buy Texas for anywhere, we'll, we'll, go and, we'll go down and see Donald McPherson's. Um, so we went down there to, to, um, to try, well, Donald said he would sell us. I think at the time he needed five females to start a, to start a flock. Mm-hmm. And um, so we went down there and uh, we pick, picked out four gimmers. They were really nice gimmers. And then, and then he was showing me in a shed. There was a, a shed with some yellow lambs that he was flushing at the time. And, uh, and we picked out one. And he's like, oh, I'm not selling that. I am not selling that one. So, that was fine anyway, so we were at him and at him, no, he wouldn't sell it, so we ended up, yeah, knowing Donald, we ended up back in the house, and uh, I was driving, and Dad, and Duncan, and Donald, Duncan come down with us, Duncan and Donald um, get onto the whiskey, and they get quite, uh, quite well, they get quite well oiled, and anyway, by the time, they, Dad and Donald both fell asleep, and by the time they woke up, they both woke up, stood up, shook hands, and the yellow lamb was in the deal. I have, I still to this day have no idea how that yellow lamb was in the deal. <laughs> she ended up, she ended up um, I flushed it at Top Castle Cairn Hadrian as a gimmer, um, and I got a lot of nice females to him. She, he was a top that the Clarks had. Um, Lindsay was going with, with Pandy at the time, and uh, so I got a shot at him. But out of one of those Castle Cairn Hadrian years, I got a top lamb that I took to Lanark, uh, the first first lamb I took to Lanark in 2005. One or two people had come in about and saw him and thought they were, it was an awful good lamb, I should maybe be taking him to Lanark. And so I, didn't, I didn't really know any better at the time, but we, we brought him out to the best of our ability and, and he made 30,000. So it was a bit of a shock, but it was quite nice at the same time. That's a great trade and a and a great story and you're right. Donald is uh, is is a great character and um, I actually shared a Texel top with him myself that uh, we'd bought for six thousand. He bred fairly well for me. Didn't do didn't do much for Donald. And you went on and sold a top called I'm Your Man for twenty four thousand to Albert Howie again. And uh, Albert is a good customer, isn't he? I hope you send him a, a Christmas card and a bottle every year. Yes, indeed. It's uh, yeah, no, he was he was by a top. Nah, you're the man. He was a lamb that I saw in Lanark, and um, it was a real quality lamb. Great back and ending him, and really bright. He was wild. He was like was been having a blacky background. We liked him to have a bit of spark about them. I don't like sheep to stand in a pen with their head down. Uh, you're the man. Stood with his head up all day. He was a wee bit pale of his colour. I got together with a crowd of uh, local boys. Um, and we bought him for uh, twenty thousand that year. He's done tremendously well for me. He, he bred I'm the man uh, twenty four thousand, and then he bred my, my twenty two thousand pound gimmer uh, two years later. So. I was going to say that, and, and uh, I'm your man's bred gimmers for Albert at twenty thousand and fifteen thousand was going on to Hugh Blackwood, another blackie breeder, and you sold your show gimmer for twenty two thousand, as you said, and she looked a tremendous beast, I have to say. Yeah, again, she she was she had a great back and ending her. And to be honest, it's the it's the first thing I look at in a texel that they need to have a back and they need to have an end. Um, the big boxy heads would come after that, but uh, I think they need the right bits need to be right first. And she had that. That job is maybe changing now. Maybe at one time it was all heads and they were losing the carcass. I think yeah, the, maybe the Beltex is keeping them honest. I don't know, but there's a bit more shape coming back into the texels again now. Would you say? Yeah, yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think when you 
when you see the lambs that are making money, and, and to be honest, the shearling jobs, there's a good bit of money to be made in these shearlings now. Well, they need to have quality carcasses for the shearling jobs. So. Yeah, the shearling job and the female job is, is serious as well. Now, I mean, these gamers are making a trade. And how many texels are you running there now, uh, uh, John? We're running 30 hours. Um, I flush 15 of them every year. I'm basically concentrating on my, my very best lines now. So we're uh, well, having so many different breeds. We can't have texels and we've got some leasters there. We can't have a big flock of either of the two of them. So we, we just have a, a small nucleus of, of what we think is good yows and... Uh, we just concentrate on them. Moving on, you've got a top flock of uh, blue-faced Leicesters again, uh, and down to you, John, probably. Uh, what are the highlights there? Again, it's not a breed I know I'm, I'm up to speed with. Well, I, I don't know if I would call it a top flock. <laughs> they're, they're, we're, we're working them up. Um, we've been trying to, try to build up with, some again, some good lines with Dad and David. They're very keen on the Leicesters as well. They're, they're, more so, like the Texels, probably I'm the one that's, that's pushing them myself more than anything. But the, the Leicesters, everybody's kind of getting a say in with them. So, but yeah, they're they're bred from Nunscloch and Carry House, uh, as it are probably their two main lines at the moment. Um, just two lines that I thought the Nunscloch were always famed for. Their, they were probably the first ones we heard of that had the crossing type Leicester. Um, and um, and a new Martin Archersman was coming out with some really good uh, mule ewe lambs. And at the end of the day, that's the most important part of them, so we'll we're, we're try to concentrate on breeding sheep that will produce a quality real new lamb. So. The thing about the blue face lesser, we're, we're, um, you know, we're, we're crossing about 600 blackies with them, so you're, you're actually seeing how well they're crossing, and that's the, that's what you can sell them on, it's, it's, it's their crossing ability, even more so than what they look like. Some of them surprise you, uh, but I make it's quite interesting. You're saying they're not easy to breed to type from their looks there, Archie, but I suppose with that many you've got, you'll be breeding your own replacements anyway, so uh, yeah, you get a good insight into it. Yeah, yeah, we're breeding our own replacements as much as possible. We'll have to, we'll have to buy an odd stocked up right enough, but it's handy that you can, well, both in the, we've got, we've got the Blue Leicester top hogs and Texel top hogs that we can use in our own use. Sure. And you say buying the odd one in, you bought one in uh, Howgill up for 30000 I think, in a share a few years back. Yeah, no, he's done well for us. We didn't get a great go with him the first year. We, our AI didn't work very well, and we flushed a few years. And the embryos didn't hold very well. So, um, you know, we only got a handful of, t- of top lambs by him last year. Um, but the only embryo top lamb we got uh, was actually probably the best least the lamb we've had to date, and uh, we sold a share privately of him back to Hugel. Okay. Um, we, we kept a share of him ourselves. So. And you've had 4,500 for a gamer, I think, going back? Yeah, we had a hog in at Stirling. She was out the carry house. She, out, um, she was by K1 carry house and, and now the J60 carry house that we have. And, yeah, she's got she had some real good blood behind her. And, yeah, that brought a few people in to see her. Yeah, brought them up to Stirling to see her just with the, with the breeding that was in her. And, um, seem to work well. And how many Leicesters do you keep in there now? Um, probably too many. <laughs> <laughs> there was, I think there was 30 of them went to the top this year, but we're really thinking 20 will be, 20 will be enough of them. Well, we're, we're, again, we're flushing the best ones, so we're getting numbers that way. Mm-hmm. Um, sure. And uh, to be quite honest, a, a Leicester lamb reared in a cross house probably <laughs> a bit stronger than one reared in a, a blue yet. <laughs> 
You said it, I didn't. And uh, the demand for Blue Leicesters is still growing, though. It's a breed that's on the up just now, isn't it? Oh, it is, yeah. I, I mean, both kinds, uh, it's still the, it's the main crossing breed on the blackface, and, and uh, it's the, the, the kind of posh kind, or the pure kind, uh, uh, is, the, is the, probably the main crossing breed on the on the Cheviot, too. So, um, it's a change. It used to be the Border Leicester that was in the Cheviot, it's now the Blue Leicester. Uh, going back to the cattle, do you have a herd of Ling? You mentioned Ling earlier on. You breed some of the Lings pure as well, do you? That's the breed that's on the rise just now. Um, after we sold the, the limbs and the, and the cross cows, we were basically looking at the farm thinking how I thought the hill was starting to get a bit rough, the top end of the hill was starting to get a wee bit rough and we were needing cows that would go out and graze the top end more so than probably the, the limbies or the charlies would. The, the limbies and charlies were off, off and out in the hill, in fact my summer calvers or charlie cows are out in the hill at the moment. Uh-huh. But yeah, we were looking for a kind of, a kind of hill native breed and I've got well, I'd a feeling at the time that things were maybe going to go a bit more native with all this greening and everything. This road we're going down, so um, I'd always a notion for a for a native breed, and I just thought the Ling was the one that suited the farm the best. We could hope that they must outwinter them, so they've got they're a hardy cow. They're not too small a cow, um, so uh, I just feel you need weight gain at the end of the day, don't you? There's no point in breeding a wee hill cow that you don't get. You don't get enough power in your calves at the end of the day, so the the ling I just thought fitted the bill for what we were doing, and we didn't have a real plan of what we were going to do with them. It was just a, um, whether we were going to go down the pure road. My main aim was to I thought we've got Charlie bulls here, we'll just build them with the Charlie. But me being me having a pedigree head and we um, we kind of are putting them all with the ling bull at the moment. <laughs> we'll see how that works. We might end up going to the Charlie bull. Yet. <laughs> They're a very fertile breed. Well, we've got a very close calving pattern, the ones we've got, and um, they're handy for putting an odd embryo in as well, which is uh, another reason we thought we'd, we'd uh, keep them. Indeed, and they are in demand. I have to say that we are the Ling breed, and uh, chatting to uh, John Scott on our podcast last week, and him saying it's, it's it's damn hard to buy Ling bulls now. They seem to be sold at home. The, the, the breed is definitely on the go. No, and I can see why. We we wintered the 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 heifers in the cubicles this year, just in silage. There was no concentrate at all, and they grew and put flesh on like I've never seen before. Um, they did absolutely tremendous. You can see why uh, why they're popular, and they're, they've a tremendous big pelvis in them as well. They're, they're very easy to calve. But aye, that's as Dad was saying. We're now going down a road with. The, we're building the limbs back up. We're, we're IVFing a few limbs and um, putting embryos straight into the, to the ling heifers. They get an embryo as a heifer and then they can run into the herd after that. Um, I don't like to have too much waste. You, like, I don't like buying in recips and then you're, what do you do with them after it? Do you need to then try and sell them on or do you fatten them and kill them? And I just, if you're working with a, a pure ling, you've got something that you can hopefully you don't wreck it, try to carve an embryo out of it, and you can put it back into the herd once you've, once you've had one embryo out of it. Sure, and obviously from a health status as well, unless you've got to bring them by in and bring back into the into yourselves, the better. And uh, am I right in thinking that uh, well, Libby runs a bed and breakfast uh, still at Allen Fold, uh, Archie? Well, she does. It's been a wee bit quiet over the last year <laughs> COVID, but um, uh, yeah, yeah, she, she, she does. We've got, we've only got, We've got one chalet and, and uh, 
Well, we have a big house now. I'd, I'd, I had five children, but uh, uh, so we've got quite a few. We've got uh, six bedrooms in the house, so so it's quite handy having people in it. Keeps Libby busy. <laughs> so keeping Libby busy. I'm going to ask a question. You run three pedigree herds, three pedigree flocks, maybe more, and and uh, a question we all want to ask. I think who the hell does all the paperwork? <laughs> well, it was always me. <laughs> But uh, I'm, uh, I'm very lucky now that uh, John's wife, Bryony, uh, is, is doing the bulk of it along with, along with Libby. So I've, I've got out of my paperwork duties, more or less, filled a wee bit. But uh, great to have two people I can depend on. <laughs> it's a full, full-time job for one person, that's for sure, I'm sure. And how many cattle and sheep do you run at Allen Fold now? Have you talked it up? Over what acreage is, is, is the farm? We'll be farming in total 2,000 acres. Um, Allen Fold itself is 1,600 acres. And then there's um, we have a farm up at Dunblane, or up at Kinbuck, near Dunblane. Um, and we've also a bit of ground um, kind of through near Glasgow. Okay. Um, so yeah, there's about 2,000 acres in total. Cow-wise, we'll probably have about 70 cows at the moment, between all the breeds. So. 1,600 ewes. Okay, and Archie, you've had quite a large family, as you say, lots of daughters, lots of weddings to pay for, and uh, and and one of your daughters, Catherine, that uh, John mentioned just now, is for our listeners, is now one of the probably the top uh, of her game, number one livestock photographer in the UK, and she's got her father's eye for sure, hasn't she? Yes, she always had a good eye for stock, Catherine, and I think uh, that's very necessary and and to be a, a good livestock photographer, uh, she's got to know what they're supposed to look like. I'm very lucky with, with all my family, really, and we're, we're a very close family. Um, well, Catherine's partner is Stuart Barclay, who's in a big way both in machinery and livestock. Hairstone, and uh, uh, my second daughter, Carolyn, she met her husband at uni. Uh, she was at Aberdeen University, and, and she's married to Matthew Milne, who's Elgin Charlie's. Uh-huh. And then Lindsay, uh, who's a journalist, She's married to Pandy Clark of Garngear Texel fame. Well, it's Teagle. They've just moment, so he's Teagle. And and uh, and my youngest daughter Moira is married to Tim Russell, who's the stockman for Andrew Burnett Limousins. Okay. And, uh, Moira helps Catherine as as as, as well and with her bootwork and uh, as a hairdresser too. So that's the family. A busy family, obviously all in the livestock. And going back to Catherine, she brought a Blilac Charolais cow, didn't she, which has bred her bulls to 8,000 and 10,000. That was a fairly canny investment. And didn't she just buy a Galloway recently? Um, Archie, did everything. She did, she did. I, I haven't actually seen it yet, but I've, I've heard great reports about it. It's supposed to be a very good one. Well, she takes some notions. She actually, I, John mentioned earlier that she, she bought the... A, a limousine cow at Ursula, and she's just recently sold a bull out of her for what, 8,000, was it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, aye, our wee livestock enterprise is doing quite well. <laughs> Certainly it is, and uh, you've got a handful of grandchildren, I would say, a, a, a truckload of grandchildren, actually. 16 grandchildren, yeah. <laughs> yeah they, they bring bring us a lot of fun, and, and aye, as I say, we're a very close family, so we see we see a lot of them. Uh, well, with Libby doing the paperwork and the uh, the bed and breakfast, I'd imagine you're doing the grandfather duties, eh? <laughs> <laughs> uh, some of it. <laughs>
and both you guys will judge a lot of shoes, a lot of interbreeds as well, I guess. And uh, we're all missing the shows uh, at present. And um, how do you see the show circuit going? What do you make of the of the the Highland Showcase this year? Can you can we talk about that? Can't really get my head round it, Andy. I don't. I'm not sure how it's going to go. Um, I mean, it's all young judges. That's good. Good, giving them a chance to to do it. But um, it's going to be different going there with no no uh, crowd. I mean, that's what we really go to the Highland Show for is to uh, you, you get a fantastic crowd of folk at, at your judging, and it's going to be very strange without it, really. Sure. It's it's given uh, given us something to kind of. Have forward to so um to look okay, you never know it might not work really really well we just don't know how it's going to work well i hope so the royal welsh show has been televised for the last i don't know ever so many years and the whole of wales all turns out and watches out on the tv so maybe you know a lot of scotland will get to see the show on television and and uh yeah that'll maybe do it a, a few favors too yeah 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 no the, the royal wales do a really good job with their, their televising it's very good mm-hmm. And John, you're bringing your children into the job now, setting them up with a few badger-faced texels there, and they might be a bit of a novelty, but uh, there's some trade in that breed as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, uh, Brian and myself, we've got two wee boys and a, and a, and a little girl who's just actually started crawling the last couple of days, so <laughs> it gave us plenty of fun, the three of them. Um, sure. But uh, yeah, a bit like it's Facebook, I think it does, isn't it? You see things on Facebook, you take daft notions, but... Um, I saw these badgers popping up on Facebook, and it, they were very startling. I just a great character, and they're, 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 I don't know, they just catch your eye. Um, so I, I took a little notion on them, and um, I thought it'd be good to start something up for the for uh, the time it was the boys. But Catherine's come along now as well, so it'll be for the three of them, so um, for a wee bit of fun. And they are actually there. They have they get so much fun out of them because they're so quiet and uh, well. Andrew's just young enough yet, but Matthew's daft keen and he's in. in fact that keen that I've I've sold one or two privately and it's a bit of a crying match every time. <laughs> it wouldn't be a crying match to your bank balance. You've sold them for a fair trade. I've seen them going on. <laughs> no, but uh, oh, they've, they've a long way to go. They're a wee bit like the Texels when they come into the country. They probably the breed in general at the moment has too much wool and I'll need to get the wool off them a bit and. Um, so yeah, there's a bit there's a bit of work to be done in them, but I think there there is a breed there to be worked with. We actually use them on the uh, we top Suffolk Cross mule hogs. Um, I use them as recepts, but we top them with a badger um, as yew lambs. Uh-huh. And the lambs out them are absolutely tremendous. They lamb easily to them, and they have great carcasses on them. One thing about the badger is that they're not hugely tall, but they're very heavy sheep. They've got a big they've got a deep chest in them. So no, I think there is there's a sheep there to be worked with. As I said, it's more than just a novelty value, as it wouldn't. Uh, you wouldn't do it if it was uh, just that. Yeah. Uh, and John, you even breed Jack Russells, I know, because I tried to buy unsuccessfully buy a a bitch from you last year. And I have to say, you McGregor, so you're, you're quite a family between you. There, you're into, into a lot of things. So. Uh, well, I've got a wee house dog, a wee bitch, a Morag. To be honest, we took a couple of letters out of just because she was having fake pregnancies, and we just thought it was easier to have pups than. Uh, but no, it's worked out quite well. Um, especially the way this dog trade's going, we they were they were money that last time. So. <laughs> Aye, indeed. Anyway, it's been a pleasure talking to the both of you. I, I hope our listeners have enjoyed a little bit of insight into the goings on under that Alan Fold prefix, and uh, you guys will have 
sales coming up pretty much all the year round with with uh, the breeds that you've got going on so i know you you're all very busy but uh i really appreciate you talking to us uh, um on this episode and uh thank you very much for your time both of you okay thank, well, you, thank you speaking to you you take care now. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast, which was kindly sponsored by Harbro, suppliers of quality commercial and pedigree feeds and expert nutritional advice. Visit their website or find them on Facebook for more information. And while on the subject of Facebook, why don't you visit the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page, where you'll find photographs and more information to back up this episode.